I just want to start with a thought the, uh, of this that I've realized in my life that I'm, I'm a project guy. I like, to, I like to have something, a project on the go. If there's a, if there's a project, I, I sometimes makes my life more busy than I want it to be, but there's some joy that comes from that. So this summer, my, you know, my kids were or in the winter, they were like asking for a rabbit and my daughter was making art. Every art was a picture of a rabbit. And then there was these like these little perler bead things where you iron these little beads together to form different shapes. Well, the shapes were rabbits and they would just show up on my desk. And, and so I knew my kids wanted a rabbit. I was like, oh, I'm going to have to build them a rabbit cage. So this, uh, this uh, couple of weeks ago, I started building this rabbit cage. And so I was thinking, I know, they, they painted it there. So again, the, like, the subtle hints, dad, we want a rabbit. And as I built it, I thought, how long is this thing going to last? You know, how long are they going to love these rabbits? Well, I hope I'll build a cage that hopefully lasts the summer. And then we started talking, you know, my brother was talking about getting quail. And I was like, that's cool. And so I was like, I like quail. I'm going to build a cage for quail. And so I built that. And then so I was, I'm hoping that you're allowed to have quail in Townsend. If you're not, don't tell nobody. But I was hoping that, uh, you know, I could have some quail, but I thought, quail is something I want for longer. So I built this thing even better. I thought, at least it's going to last more years. Uh, maybe for you, you're a project guy. You like to find those old cars and try and restore them. And, 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 and as you restore those old vehicles, it's like, how long do I hope they're going to last? You know, 25 to 30 more years you know, maybe it's building a house, and it's, you know, this isn't a prominent home right here, but if you built, a, you know, you hope that the house is going to last, you know, 60 to 100 years before it looks like this. is what you're doing when you're building it. You hope it's going to last. And, and, you know, we build other things. Like, we build our marriages, and we hope that they're going to last a lifetime. And we build relationships with people. Uh, we were talking about it last night, you know, the, the, the kids that you hang out in high school, you know, maybe your BFF from back then. I don't know how many of you are best friends with your BFF from high school, but just, just real quick, how how many of you have friends that you've been friends with and you're still, you see them regularly since you were like five years old? Just take a look. There's a few, but it's not the norm. You know, it's, uh, for, for many of us, we don't have friendships that lasted that long. For, for some, there's marriages. For others, it's houses. For whatever, it didn't last that long. As I thought about that, you know, when we, when we work on things and building things, a lot of what depends on how long it lasts is how we built it. It depends on how we built it will determine how long it lasts or at least give it the chance. And so as I was thinking about this, I, I began to ask myself this question. What is the one achievement that I want still standing at the end of my life? What's the one thing that I would want to still be intact? What are the most important things in my life that I hope are still there at my last breath? Have you ever asked yourself that question? I know it seems strange. It's not one of those ones you wake up in the morning, have a coffee, and like, yeah, I wonder what I'm going to be the last thing that happens when I die. And we just don't usually do that. But it's healthy sometimes to think because as we're building our lives, it's important to think about what we actually want to still be there at the end. And as I was thinking about this, I realized last week that Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. 2,000 years ago, he said these words, I'm going to build my church. The gates of hell are not going to stop the church. And he wasn't talking about a building. He was talking about people. I'm going to build a gathering of people who know me personally, who know and believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and, and they, that they were so convinced of that. Would you know that that faced incredible opposition back then? They were literally killed in, in, uh, in the arenas of the, of the Romans just for that simple thing. And as great opposition, there's, there's a, a, a history book I, was, I just heard of recently where they're just talking about how, how incredible it is that the church actually survived everything it went through. And yet God had promised and saying, no, it's going to survive. It's going to survive. And Holy Spirit's continued to make sure that there was always people that would face the resistance and that would continue to see the church continue to grow. 
And uh, today, I believe it's still here, a gathering of people who believe that Jesus, as we say, rose from the dead, that he conquered the grave, and because he rose from the dead, there's an eternity. Because he came and said that, I'm going to, to, to my Father to prepare a place for you. And we believe, yeah, Jesus, a man, rose from the dead, and that he is God, and that we can know God because of, of him. And it's amazing that it's faced great odds and survived, but it faces great resistance yet today. The church faces great resistance even in Haldeman County. And maybe you're like, well, what kind of resistance is that? Here's a couple thoughts for you. A couple weeks ago, we sent a number of our kids' ministry volunteers to a children's ministry conference. And at that conference, they learned that 80% of people who are followers of Christ today came to follow Christ before the age of 13. So again, quick show of hands. How many of you, that's you. You've started following Christ before you were 13 years of age. See, as you look around, that wasn't 80%, which I love because that means Kingsway is changing the percentage. That means that there's people who've come to know Christ uh, after the age of, um, of 13. But we realize that 80%. Do you realize that the, most, the, the biggest harvest field for reaching people for Christ is right downstairs? We don't always think about that, but 80%. It's these young kids that VBS will be one of the greatest places to reach kids for eternity. It's incredible when you think about it. And then I was at a pastor's conference this past weekend, and uh, so I was there. They were going over the stats of, of, our, of the youth that went through youth ministry from 1980 to 2010. Th- went through 30 years. They weren't in youth group for 30 years. But, you know, that, 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 that span of time, where are those kids at now. And they were talking about what they described as kind of the typical youth ministry where you get a bunch of kids in a church building, have them play some games, maybe teach them a little bit of stuff, but basically to get kids connected and around each other and, and, and some of the, the typical things. What's happened to them? Where are they today? And they said this. This is what they found, that 23% today are engaged in church. And that's not engaged to a person. That's like engaged to like what God is doing. And their faith matters and they want to live that out for real. 23%. That's one out of four. 37% that are fence-sitters. They're respectful, but they're not engaged. They're like, yes, you know, I'm okay with what you guys believe. I'll, I'll, I'll sit in church, but yeah, you, I'm not, I'm not going to do anything with it. 37%. 26%, they said, were wanderers. They're the ones who came at Christmas and Easter and Mother's Day, only when their parents really needed them there. But other than that, they're not there. And you know what they said about this group is they're the ones who are we're just okay with everybody having their own beliefs. You know, your beliefs are fine. You know, my beliefs are fine. Let's just not talk about it. You can believe what you want to believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe, and let's just leave it at that. You know anybody like that? 26%. 15% of rejectors and said, I want nothing to do with Christ. And what was interesting is that the 37% of the fence-sitters, the ones who were like not engaged but not really wandering either, were, were on their way to becoming wanderers. They were not on their way to becoming engaged. See, that means that one out of four, one out of four. And as I think about that, I think about my kids. I have four. Statistically says one of them is going to serve the Lord. I don't like those odds. I don't like those odds. You know, as I think about that, I think, man, there's resistance, and it's not happening up here as much as it's happening in the lives of our kids and in the lives of our, of our youth. And I've been thinking about that for a while now because I want Kingsway to be a part of the solution, always a part of the solution and never a contributor to the problem. I was reminded of, of the next generation as I read this thought. And I just want you to listen to it. It just says this, the future leaders, the future leaders of our nations, our organizations, our workplaces and families will come from our children. Is that a positive or a negative thought for you? <laughs> Have you taken a close look at the youngsters of this generation? They're different from our generation. 
And no matter when this was written, that's true. It doesn't matter what generation you are. Those youngsters are different than us. It says some, and it says some, not all, but some. Some have problems concentrating. Some have problems concentrating. Some have problems concentrating. Some of them are here. So now they're listening. Some seem indifferent. Some have no sense of urgency. Some are mistrustful of intimacy. Some are easily distracted or materialistic. Can't reason. They're not logical. They're abstract thinkers with limited problem-solving skills, are immature, can't think, are drugged. Some are violent and cruel, can't finish what they start. They rarely learn from mistakes, financially illiterate, and separated emotionally from parents and family. Raise your hand if that's your children. Not too many. I was going to be like, that's not me. Yes, I know. Some of you are nudging your parents. (laughs) But if you think about those thoughts, it doesn't sound like a real positive thing. And again, it says some, but in my heart and my desires that our youth and our teens and our children would be the ones that would be the, the leaders for positive things. That would be the leaders that say, you know, we're, we're going to take and we're going we're to continue to fight for, for morality. We're going to continue to fight for hope. We're going to continue to fight for, for truth and for life as, um, as followers of Jesus. And as we thought about that and realized, you know, that affects each and every one of us, that there is a generation that's following each and every one of us. If you're upstairs today, it means you didn't go downstairs with the kids. So you're in, you're in a different generation than that group of kids. And so I just wanted to leave you with four thoughts this morning. And you can jot them down. You can uh, maybe uh, think about them later and how it affects you. Because some of you are like, well, I'm not a parent. You don't have to be a parent if you're part of his family. There's, there's kids that are around you that are just uh, as, as able to be influenced by what you decide. So here's the thoughts. They're all about in. So four ins. One in is this, intentional. Uh, as we read the stories of, uh, in the Word, we see some uh, stories of great, great leadership stories, great um, things that God has done through people. And Joshua is one of them. If you see Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, it says this. Um, Joshua says, but if you refuse to serve the Lord, he says, and he's talking to the leaders after they conquered the whole promised land, he gets them together and says, well, then choose today whom you're going to serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? He says, choose today. And I want to say that to each and every one of us, that for us, there's a decision that, that we need to make. And it's not just say, I'm going to decide someday. It's deciding who will I live for today? And each and every day that becomes a decision as a follower of Jesus that we wake up because the wrestle and the struggle is always that, that challenge. Am I going to live for me today? Or did I say, no, Jesus, it's you and me. Till death do us part, I am living with and for you. It's not that idea of being on cruise instead of choose where I'll just like go through life and see where it leads me. Joshua was saying to his people, guess what? There's going to be battles ahead. And what's going to happen when you get faced with a struggle? Are you going to turn away from God? Man, how often do we see that happen where it's, where it's at the first hint of struggle that, that even as, as Jesus described it in Matthew, that the word was sown in people's hearts and it grew. But as soon as struggles or cares of the world came, it just stopped to bear fruit. Did you know that he didn't promise you as a follower of Jesus that your life's going to be just, you know, unicorns and rainbows? That there's going to be some difficulty that comes along, but he said, you know what, I can carry you through if you stick with me. Have you decided, really decided who you're living for? Are you completely committed to Christ? Because indecision, if you haven't really decided, that's still a decision. That means that at least today, you aren't. In Joshua 24, he goes through and he says, choose today. He says to them, choose today. Make today the day that you, you make this decision. And he says to them, would you prefer 
The gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But he says, but as for me and my family, we'll serve the Lord. It's a famous, famous verse. It's been, you know, posted in people's houses and, and on different, different places. You see it. It's, it's this thing. That part of the verse is always the one. And this week I heard someone teaching uh, online. I was listening. They, they were just saying, you know, to a group of people, they're like, you can just claim that verse. If your family's not serving the Lord, just come on up for prayer. And we're just going to claim that this verse says, but as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. And God has to honor that. And your kids are going to be saved. Put some money in my offering plate. That's not a promise from the Lord. That's not something that he said you can just, you know, stick it on there and claim. Last week we, we started talking about context and saying you got to know where this came from and what it was said. He's saying, you know, there's some things you can get by faith and there's other things you need to get by wisdom. You don't get saved by wisdom. It's not just something I'm going to try and work out in my head. God gives you faith to believe for that. But there's other things, you know, and we've said it before that you can't, you know, just have faith that your kids are going to serve the Lord. That's not something you just get to have faith for. It's like, you know, I hear people pray, oh, dear God, I give you my children. And he's like, dear person, I gave them to you. You know, this is what you're supposed to do. And he's like, oh, God, I just give up. I put them in your hands. You teach them. And he's like, I gave you a manual. It's called the Bible. It's full of parenting things. Use that on your children. Not on them, but use that. Use those principles with raising your children. And he says, you know what? It takes wisdom to raise kids. But he says this. He says this idea. It says, as for me. He says, it starts with me. Can you guys say that? Because last night they had this confused. They thought it started with Mark. But can you just say, it starts with me? It starts with me. And Joshua was saying that, you know, I've decided. Because uh, a lot of times when it comes to, comes to the next generation, we hope someone else is going to do it. That's why we bring our kids to church and send them down to kids' church. And we'll be up here like, oh, and one hour of free babysitting, you know. I sure hope they come out, you know, with some, with some morals. It, we, we hope that the Sunday school teacher or, or the pastor is going to help do that. But he said, listen, it starts with me. He says, it starts with me and my, and my family. We're going to serve the Lord. Joshua decided to make this a culture of his home, that he was going to value serving the Lord. Serving the Lord was something he valued in his home. Is it the value that we place in our homes? And it's not just, not just his family. When I think about it, I think that Kingsway and the Kingsway family, it's what we want to value in this house is that we would serve the Lord. That, that us individually every single day would be passionate about serving the Lord, but also that, that our kids and that the, the kids around us, that we would do it all that we can to encourage them to serve the Lord as well. So the question is, what am I or what are we intentionally doing today for the next generation? Some of the greatest pain that I see recently is from parents whose children are not serving the Lord. It's the greatest pain that I've seen recently. And, you know, it's, it, I, I think about it. My kids are young, but I think that would be one of the things that would hurt the most as I grow older to see my kids not, not following Christ. As a, as a youth leader, saw so many teens bring so much pain into their lives and into their parents' lives by the choices they made because they didn't want to serve the Lord. I love what you said, that I chose to serve the Lord at the age of 18, and it was the best 50 years of my life. We need to hear that story over and over and over. How do we get to that place? Some of you feel like, oh, man, that's all this pressure. And some of you are like, well, I'm older and my kids, they don't serve the Lord. And now I feel a little bit guilty. Let me just take all the pressure off. Can I tell you that you can't save your own kids? Only Jesus can save your children. That he's the only one who can put faith in their heart. That Holy Spirit is going to keep working on, on your kids, always drawing on them because he wants them. He wants a relationship with them. He's always going to be working, but it's only him that can save, save our kids. 
You know, Matt Chandler said it too, that, and I remember the first time I heard this, it was after I already had four children. I may have had less if I had known this, but he says, you know, the idea was that I can't, I'm just kidding, don't tell him that. Uh, I, I, he said, I, I may not be able to, or he says, yeah, I may not be able to save my own children, but I don't want to be the reason why they don't follow Christ. And that's something that sticks with me. I may not be, the, I may not be able to make them follow Christ. I don't want to be the reason why they don't. I never want them to look at dad and say, oh, you know, dad was whatever. Dad did this. It was because of my father that I, that I, I don't want to follow Christ. In this house, I want to give our children every opportunity possible to know and serve Jesus. We can't save them, but we can give them every possible opportunity. And as we listen to Joshua's inspiring speech of, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Here's what happened. He says, after Joshua sent the people away, it says in Judges chapter 2, each of the tribes left to take possession of the land allotted to them. And the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua. They served the Lord um, throughout the lifetime of the leaders who outlived him. All those who had seen, just remember that word, those who had seen the great things the Lord had done for Israel. And after that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord. They didn't know him. And they didn't remember the mighty things that he had done for Israel. So even in Joshua's intention to say, I want to lead this generation, and he led that generation well. And as Kingsway keeps saying, we, that we want to do what God's called us to do on Sunday mornings, on Saturday nights, throughout the week as Kingsway, and we want to do it well. But there was no instruction left for the next generation. They weren't intentional thinking about the ones who were just behind them. And we all have a timetable. We all last only a certain amount of time. And it says, you know, not only do we need to be intentional, we need to be instructional. I saw this quote the other day, and I love it. Francis Schaeffer, you can look him up. He did some incredible things for the church in his generation. But he said this, each generation of the church in each setting, has a responsibility of communicating the gospel in understandable terms, considering the language and thought forms of that setting. Each generation of the church in each setting has a responsibility of communicating the gospel, the good news, in understandable terms, considering the language and thought forms of that setting. Do you realize that language changes? How many of you are like from the not generation? You know, we used to say things like, hey, I'll give you 50 bucks, not you know, there's like things from some of you are good. Because last night there was like, they were way too young. They're like, we don't know what that's all about. And some of you are like, what? That's, that's lame. You know, there's these things that, you know, and you know it. It's like half the time you can't understand half the words your teenagers are saying. Like they got this new lingo and, and they have a different culture. The millennials, we're, we're, we're reaching people at this point in time that are just like, we're okay with everything. There's no, there's no absolute truth. There's no absolute morality. And he's saying, find a way to speak the gospel, the good news, in a way that they can grab onto and say, in spite of everything else that says around me, that there's no absolute truth and absolute morality, that, I, that they can find Jesus and find faith in Christ. Paul said it to Timothy in 2 Timothy, he said, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus, and the things you've heard. Remember, for the children of Israel, it was the things they'd seen. He says to Timothy, it's the things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. And trust that to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So Paul was saying, you know, Timothy, the church, I, he says, I'm in prison and I'm about to die. It's what he writes to Timothy. He says, Timothy, you heard everything I said. I taught you well. Now go and teach others. But not just anybody. Go find faithful people. Go find people who are going to take that and say, yeah, I'm going to, I understand it. And now I'm going to find a way to teach it to the next generation. And that that would carry on. And as a result of that, it's why we are still here today. And our kids, that next generation, our teens, that next generation, what have they heard? Have you shared what you've heard? Have you shared what you've seen? 
Have you shared the stories of your life and your journey following Christ? Because it matters. Do you realize that children learn? Uh, that's why I said they're seeing and hearing, because children learn so much more by seeing than they do by, by hearing. It's that do as I say, not as I do, and then they just do what you do. You know, they do what they see you do. You know, and they're more apt to, do, to, to learn that way, both the good and the bad. The words they say, you know, their mannerisms. The other day, I was, um, because Max was in a cast, he gets to sleep in my bed, and I have to sleep on the, in the, on the basement floor in the toy room. So I was, I was down there, and these two kids come down because I'm in their toy room in the morning, and it's 7 a.m., and they're, they're in there, and, and Max is, I just hear him t- talking to Finn, and he's just, like, he's just instructing him on, on how to do life. He's like, okay, Finn, we're going to play with these toys right now, and then afterwards, we get to play with these toys. And I'm like listening. I'm like, okay. And they don't know. And then he's like, okay. And, but then he takes it one whole step further. He's like, so Finn, when I say funny stuff, you need to laugh. So I'm going to say something funny and then you laugh at me, right? And so he's like, he uses some potty humor thing and Finn doesn't laugh and he's upset. He's like, you know, you, you got to go to your room. And I'm like, where do they learn this stuff? And I'm like looking and thinking it's not Beth. You know, I realize, man, I'm sometimes so particular like that. I'm realizing they, he's just doing what he sees me do and, and he's using it on his brothers. And I'm like, I always tell them, be nice to each other, be nice to each other each other. Be, that's what I tell them. But what they see me do is this, this opposite thing sometimes. And I was like, ah, you know, I realize our kids are watching and they're watching us, not just as parents, but they watch to see how we do parenting. How do we do marriage? How do we work? How do we handle stress? They're learning. You know, Beth and I sat down this week and we realized and are so thankful to, to our parents for how their excitement for the Lord during our teen years affected us. They were so excited about the Lord. They still are. I mean, saying they just they were, but the, back then, so excited about the Lord. It was some of these things where, you know, back in, uh, I was raised in the, in the Dutch church, and you went to church on Sunday morning at 10, and then there was a service at 2, and then there was this cool church down the road that, that had a service at 7, so we went to all of them every week. You know, never missed three services, and was like, oh, at some points, I'm like, oh, this is terrible, and yet, there was this part where my parents decided at some point said, we're going to take our kids to a church that's not going to be boring for them. We want them to grow. And it was something in that that allowed us to, and allowed me to be in that place. It was at that third service where I came to know Jesus for myself. It was my Sunday school teacher who sat down with me when I had tons of questions and she was busy. She's like, fine, I'll, I'll sit here and talk with you. And as she did, she began to share and, and answer my questions and led me to know the Lord. I'm so thankful for that. My parents put a priority on going to church, never missing. You know, it's not legalism, but, but it's that thing of realizing being together, there's a chance to be encouraged and to encourage others, and we're not going to miss. There was the thing of praying out loud with us. Man, how powerful that's been in my life, and I'm thankful for that. And I realize it's affected us. You know, it's, it's one, of those, one of those things that I would encourage us, and we started realizing, what are we going to do? What are Beth, what are we going to do at home so that our children can see us living at our faith? We have our Bible on our phones, but they can't tell the difference whether we're reading our Bible or playing Angry Birds, right? They just say, like, mom and dad are always on their phones. We're like, we're reading the Bible. Yeah, just I leveled up, you know? <laughs> uh, it's those, those things where we thought maybe we're just going to have to bust out like a, an, a, a real Bible with paper and, and begin just so that they can see the time that we spend studying the Word or that praying with them or, or having those conversations in depth with them about spiritual things and realizing we want them to see because they're learning. You know, it's, in some families, it's, you, you pass down heirlooms. I don't know if you have that, or, you know, you got grandpa's old watch or, or whatever it might be. In our family, there's an old Dutch Bible that I'm in line for. So mom, when you know, she knows, she told me, you know, when I croak, this is yours. And I've uh, been in nicer ways, nicer words than that. But it's this Bible that it's, it's like been passed down from grandfather and great-grandfather, maybe great-great-grandfather. I forget how far back it goes, but it's old. And, and it's going to be mine. And Reese is going to get it after me because it just goes to the oldest child of the oldest child all the way down. And, and 
I don't understand it. She's not going to understand it, but it's cool because it's old, and it got passed down. And maybe some of you have some of those heirlooms that are passed down, but one of the things we've, we've realized and studies have shown us that you can pass down more than just heirlooms. You can pass down your hurts and your habits and your hang-ups to the next generation. You know, they say that children of an addict are eight times more likely to develop that addiction. There's addictions that, that we carry that, that if we don't deal with, it gives our children that much more difficult of a time to actually uh, uh, resist, resist it. You know, as we uh, think about some of those thoughts, you know, there's a whole, bunch of them, uh, a whole bunch of them on there. And some of you are like, that's not an addiction. I love it. You know, <laughs> it's some of, the, some, of these, some of these things, you know, that, that, that we've seen so often is where, you know, a, a person will grow up and say, my grandfather was an alcoholic, my father was an alcoholic, but I'm never going to be like that. And haven't we seen how sometimes you see them go down that same road? Why? Because it's that thing, that, that, that those habits, those things that, that get passed down. And we're not saying, some of you are like, oh, no, you know, my, my grandparents and parents were like, am, am, I, am I totally screwed? No, because we're encouraging today that through the power of Jesus, there can be changed lives. That we would decide to be authentic and that we would decide to be courageous and to deal with anything that even resembles addiction in our life. To slam the door in this generation so the next generation doesn't have to, to deal with it in the, same, in the same way. What we teach them is so important. We want to be in a place here that teaches kids that church isn't boring. If your kids are bored at this church, I would ask you to take them somewhere where it's not boring for them. We don't want to raise up kids to, to learn to, uh, I know that seems strange to you, but that would be the, it would be the, uh, the shame of my life that our kids would grow up to think church is boring because then they're going to think God is boring. And we, they, 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 it's gonna, as they get to their teen years, they're going to have learned what? That church was boring and I don't want anything to do with that. I would challenge you to take them to a place and, and we want to be that place where church isn't, isn't boring. It's not what we're teaching them. And we're not teaching them rules. We're not teaching them, you know, they've got to have more rules in their life. But that we would teach them that they can know Jesus for themselves. You know, there's a lot of times they think, oh, kids are rebellious. They need more rules. Big brothers and big sisters found out it was the opposite. They don't need more rules. They need relationship. Because, relation, you know, rules without a relationship, it leads to rebellion. And it's that idea of let's give them relationship. And that doesn't have to be organized. Do you realize that us as a church can reach out to the next generations and to just surround them with, uh, with relationship. Maybe for you, it's inviting uh, one of the teen guys out to golf Wednesday night at the farm. Oh, I forgot to announce that. There's free golf Wednesday nights at the farm for all men and now teens as well. To invite them, to invite them out and say, you know what, let's, hey, would you, would you be interested in coming out? Having the chance to be in, intentional in their life. Maybe there's these young girls in this church that, that some of you women are just like realizing, well, they don't have a dad or they don't, they don't have a positive spiritual influence in their life. I'm going to take them shopping. We'll spend five bucks, but we're going to talk all the way there and back. And being influential in their life. And some of you are like, well, that takes a lot of work. I don't think I can do everything for those kids. You don't have to do everything, but each of us can do something. To be intentional, to be instructional, and to be in the moment. You know, to do it now, not to wait till later. Sometimes you're like, oh, those kids, are, they're so young. You know, that's not a new thought. Paul said it to Timothy. He says in, in 1 Timothy 4, 12, don't let anybody think uh, less of you just because you're young. To all the teens in this place, don't let anybody ever look down on you because you're young. He says you can be an example now to, to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, your purity. You don't need to wait till you're older. You can be an example today. And he got that idea from Jesus. Paul got that idea from Jesus because when the disciples came around him and said, who's the greatest? He put a child in front of them and said, listen, this child, I want to be more like that. Not be more childish. You know, that's not what he's saying. He's saying be more humble like a child. He never said to children, hey, here's an adult. Be more like them. He was always saying this idea of, you know, that children are, are important. 
He said this in Matthew chapter 18, verse 5. He says, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. Man, what a powerful thought, eh? Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. Receiving children and what we do for children is like, what we're, is like receiving Jesus or doing it for Jesus. You know, church is not defined by how great it is up here. This is not the greatest moment, not the worship, not how you felt, not if the sermon was good or bad. It's those kids. And he, Jesus was saying that same thought. You know, it's so, so important. We have Jesus in this building every single Sunday. He says, what you do for them, you do for me. What have we done intentionally for our kids today? You know, I love our kids' ministers. All those ones wearing those blue shirts, maybe you're part of it not on today. You guys are awesome. We're going to be surprised someday when we get to heaven and find, you know, all the blue shirts are first in line and pastors pulling up at the rear. You know, it's like who get, when they're getting rewards. It's true because heaven, it says, heaven's tracking what you do for children. He sees every little, you know, every little cup of water you give to a child in my name. He says, I, I, I'm recognizing that. For every brownie you give to the children, heaven's tracking that. So are the parents, by the way. <laughs> Some of the kids we asked, you know, what's their favorite thing about church? And they said, the brownies. So you wonder why we have the brownies? We're going to keep having brownies because if it gives those kids a chance to love church, we want them to love church because it will lead to the possibility of them loving Jesus. And then he said in the verse 6, but if you cause one of these little ones to trust in me to fall into sin, it'd be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and drown in the depths of the sea. Those are pretty powerful words. I don't know if you've ever seen a millstone before. There's one at the Jarvis Lawn Bowling, but here's what it looks like. They're huge. He says, you know, if you, to, if you cause one of these kids to, to come away from Christ or if you lead them astray, he says, it's better if one of those was put around your neck. It's better if that was put around your neck than what you'd be facing for doing that. And he says he just shows how much he values children. So not only to be intentional, not only that we would be instructional, not only that we would be in the moment, but the last thought is this, that we'd realize that they're invaluable, that our kids are invaluable. The kids of Kingsway Church, the youth of Kingsway Church are invaluable. Often the only verses we ever hear about children are this, honor your mother and father and your life shall be long. You know, and that's usually from parents disciplining their kids. That's the only time we really hear verses about kids. And yet Jesus just loved children, thought they were, you know, and said they're gifts from God. And that as we realize, you know, back in that time, that was, not, that was so new. You know, where the idea of children should be seen and not heard, that was like Jesus' day. That was the prevalent thing. Kids were property. They were, the, the value on them was, you know, how much work they could do. It wasn't the value of that they were real people. So many of them didn't even make it to adulthood. That it was just this, this thing of, you know, not having this in, incredible value. And Jesus said, you, you're missing out. These get, are the ones of incredible value. Last verse today is this, Matthew 19. One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. You know, the kids, they came up to, to see Jesus. And you know, I picture it just like here. It's like those kids, they get up at the front here. And it's like, we're all going to worship and we get ready. And they're like, Running, like kids, shit, you know, that's not the way. And, and and the disciples were the same way, you know. Pass, I love, I love that this morning the bike is just like hogged by the kids, you know. It'd be like you pass the mic around, the disciples would be like, No, don't give it to that kid, don't give it to that kid, you know. No kids allowed to talk, Jesus doesn't like it. And, and yet, he said, Listen, let the kids, let the children come to me, don't stop them, you know, why? Because kids need Jesus too. Our kids need real relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you know that they face real, real struggles? They face things. There's no junior devil. Do you know that he's out in, in their lives? And studies show that things that happen in our childhood can affect us for 20 to 25 years later. 
There's kids that have gone through stuff in their childhood, gone through divorce and gone through some difficult things, and it affects them and their anxieties, their, their trust issues. It affects them 20, 25 years later. Studies done on this all the time. Why? There's no junior devil, but guess what? There's no junior Holy Spirit either. And if we can help our kids understand that God lives in them, that they can have a relationship with Jesus, that is that the theme of VBS is that God is with them all the time, that when they face anything, they're like, you know what? This is hard, but I know he's with me. If that could become a revelation in their life, you know where they're going to learn that? Through parenting, but also through the local church. To be a, create a place that would value kids, you know, because they're invaluable. I, I, I don't know if you remember the MasterCard commercials that you can buy this on MasterCard, this on MasterCard, this on MasterCard, and then there's this thing that's priceless. Our kids, our kids are priceless, but let me ask you this question. What are the things in your life that are priceless? What are the things that you're just like, I just can't put a dollar figure on this? I'd submit to you that if you're a parent, that if your children and teens are serving the Lord, that's priceless. I'd submit to you that if you're a grandparent, that to have grandchildren and children serving the Lord would be priceless. That if you're a parent of teens, that having your teens passionate about their faith would be something you're like, I can't put a price on that. Something that's priceless. And so my question to us as Kingsway and others is, what are we willing to do to reach the next generation? What are we willing to do to help create opportunity for them to really know and serve Jesus? We started already. We have amazing kids, kids ministry workers downstairs who volunteer their time to, to love these kids each, each time down there for an hour of the week. And we've said it's the best hour of the week. Why? Because they're serving Jesus by serving kids. And these kids are going to have that opportunity. We want our kids to love church. And so we talked about this as a board a couple of months ago because it's already been in here for a while. I'm trying to get a slide put in in the back there for kids to be able to go down the slide to kids ministry so that they're like, I, you know what? Mom and dad, we got to go to church. They got a slide. I no, I'm getting voted out right now uh, on that. But there's other things, there's other things that we're saying what, that, that kids would love church. What's it going to, what's it going to, I know some of them are like parents, like that is so cool, but don't worry. The, the, we've got other, other thoughts, but here's some of the things that, what would it take for us to help create a place, create an environment where kids would come and they'd say, I just love church. Mom and dad, wake up, we got to go. We got to go. And some of the things we thought about is this. That we want to spend some money downstairs to change the environments down there so that they're so kid-friendly that when you put your kid in the rumble room, he's not screaming to get out. You know, that he just can't wait to get it. I know, we hear him. We're, we're thinking about you. We want to see that happen. We want to, uh, we want to change these, the, these rooms so that kids are down there and it's like they just can't wait to get down there. And, and in those opportunities, when they're there excited, that they, they're so open to hearing about Christ. So we're thinking of, you know, changing one room into a big jungle room, one room into an underwater room without water, you're all good. And then, you know, changing like downstairs the hallway into like a train station. And it's going to take some effort, but to make it a fun and exciting for kids. What's it going to take? It's just going to take some intentionality. We're going to need some painters and we're going to need some artists. And we're going to need some people who do, like to do construction. And, and some people that are saying, you know what? This is what I can intentionally do to help see kids uh, know and love Jesus for themselves. Maybe I don't have, I can't do everything, but I can do something. You know, maybe for you, you're like, I saw that VBS thing, and that, that kind of looks cool. If that looks cool to you, that's because Holy Spirit's putting it on your heart. There's probably some way that you can be involved. Why? Because we want to be intentional about reaching the next generation. It's going to cost us some money, and I love how generous you guys are, and we already have the money to do it, which is amazing. But there's other things. Do you know what? We're going to need some space for our junior youth. There's junior youth. It would, it would be terrible for us to, to reach our young kids, and then at the time they turn 13, that there's nothing for them. It might cost us a portable. It might cost us some space. We don't know yet. 
But we want to share those things. And maybe for you uh, this morning, as we share some of these things, you're like, yeah, I could paint. Yeah, I, I like doing art. Yeah, I, I got some ideas of what my kids would think is really cool down there. Would you come and share those things with us? Would you come and let us know that we can be a part of it? So I leave you with this, that we as a church want to be the church that kids love so that as they grow up, that, that they realize that they learn to love Jesus through all those moments and can bring their friends to a place where they'll love church. It's going to require some things. We as a church need to be intentional about reaching the next generation, whichever generation that is, the one right behind us. We need to be instructional in helping them know Jesus. Whenever you have a chance to be an encouragement, even in the moment, to encourage them in their walk with Christ, as you see them, some of these kids just need a smile. Some of them need a high five. Some of them just need a, you know, like a, a hey, how are you? Some of them need EB's candies. I love it. Whatever it is, it's like they just love the church. And then the last one is this, recognize that they're invaluable because the truth, huh, the harsh reality is that there are churches all around us that have no kids in them. They would wish that they could have children in there. And that is our next step. That's something we're dreaming about. How can we take what we have here and help bless other churches to see kids in every single one of these buildings that, and, and groups of people that are churches to have their kids' ministries growing and flourishing and reaching the kids of Haldeman. I know you're like, well, how do we do it? I don't know that yet. I'm just throwing out the why. I think we need to. I think we need to, and I think you're the people that can do it. I want to challenge you to ask and say, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I just want to challenge you to ask, Holy Spirit, what part do I play? What can I do to think about these things as we go forward in this? Can we pray? Father, thank you. Thank you that you call us your children. <laughs> See, think about that. It's a pretty incredible thought. And we thank you uh, for the blessing of the kids in our lives and the generation of our teens and our youth. Father, we want them to know you in a real way. Uh, there's so many hurting kids uh, around us that that have no hope, that have no, uh, just no sense of purpose or future, but God, you know them. And, and I pray that you would use us, that you'd move through us to be able to uh, show your love and extend your love to them. Help us to be in the moment and see in the moment where there's ways that we can help reach the next generation. Lord, as we leave this place, I thank you that we don't leave you here, but you're with us. You're in us. And would you continue to speak to us and, and uh, inspire those around us to, uh, to be a part of creating something amazing for you and for our kids. Thank you for that. Lord, thank you for this great family that you've uh, allowed us and caused us to be a part of. We're grateful for that. May we, uh, may we shine bright for the world around us so they might see you and how amazing you are. I love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.